Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations I learn a great deal and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal too. So uh, hang on tight and thanks for listening to The Generators. to the generators episode two with my guest mr tommy wielden jr um hope you're having a good day or your uh things are good wherever you are i am uh talking to you from uh trent's comedy world headquarters here in calgary alberta it's another beautiful day i'm actually to the point and dare i say where i might be a little sunned out i might be it's been so hot and warm here that maybe um you ever get to that point where you just you go on a vacation at all, like an all-inclusive resort and you get to a point where you just feel like, you know what, I've had enough sun. Your skin feels a little different. You're just like, okay, good. I need more shade than sun. And uh, that's kind of the point I'm at here in Calgary almost. That's how blazing hot this spring has been. So um, that's, a, that's a rare complaint. But uh, you know what? That's part of being human. There's fun and stuff to complain about all the time, even the good things. That's... Uh, that's a human trait that we all possess. So for me, it's uh, maybe there's too much sun. There, I said it. Okay, there you go. I know I regret that. I love sun, but it's uh, it's been intense here. It's been uh, so nice in this city. Um, thanks for listening to episode two, and thanks for all the feedback from episode one. For those of you who've, uh, who tuned in and listened to that, and uh, feel free to write a review of the podcast, of the generators, if you, if you choose to do so. That would be much appreciated on iTunes. And... Um, yeah, I got some really cool uh, emails from people talking about how the generators uh, has helped them. And um, I think when you talk to smart people, and that was the whole goal of this whole podcast, was just like talk to people who are doing some cool stuff. And I think you can learn from other people. I've always been a big believer in uh, this concept of collective wisdom, which means you can gain knowledge from other people's experience. So you just need to listen to that. And uh that's kind of been the goal of this whole project is to uh, is to kind of just gain more knowledge and figure out people's stories and people's process. So uh, really grateful for all the feedback out there. I really appreciate it and keep it coming. What's going on with me? Well, uh, going on tour, as I mentioned last time, uh, kicking off the Funny Trump's Fear Tour in Labrador City on June 16th at the Arts and Culture Center. And then the next night, June 17th. I'm in Goose Bay and um, playing the Lawrence O'Brien Arts Center there. Then I got a few days off. We pick it up again in Edmonton at the um, Royal Alberta Museum Theater, June 23rd. And the next night in Grand Prairie, the Douglas J. Cardinal Theater. Uh, I'm there doing my foolishness. All tickets are available at uh, www.trentscomedy.com. And thanks to all you guys who are... Uh, I've already purchased tickets and who have shared the info. 
about the tour. I'm excited. I've been um, trying to do as many warm-up sets as I can here in Calgary, and so I'll have another week of doing that and working on a bunch of new stuff and getting it ready for you guys. So uh, excited to get out there. Uh, so also, I'll tease this a little bit. This has been hard to keep under wraps, but um, here's the thing. Uh, I got a big announcement coming up, everybody. This is uh, maybe, no, not maybe, definitely the biggest announcement of my career. And uh, when you're sitting on something that big, it's difficult. You know, it's like trying to sit on an angry elephant. Like, you, it's difficult to do, you know? But I have to do it uh, because things are still being finalized. But uh, it's going to be coming hopefully this week. And um, so excited for this opportunity i can't even i can't even explain it really in words but uh that's coming up hopefully this week so if you're listening um you might be getting that thing dropped on you this week at some point so uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that um also this week my guest mr tommy wielden jr is the uh, technical director of the foothill soccer club here in calgary and he is also the head coach of the under twenty three under twenty three professional development team, Foothills team, who play in the uh, professional development league in Canada and the United States. I think it's I think it's yeah mostly U.S. I believe I think if I'm correct. Um, and I'd never met Tommy before, but I reached out to him on social media, and uh, he was totally cool with doing the podcast. And so I went up to um, their training facility called the Factory. And we sat down and talked soccer, and I got a feeling it probably could have went on for a few hours because when you have two soccer enthusiasts just uh, shooting the breeze, it it tends to go pretty quickly. And um, it was really, really cool to kind of pick his brain and see what his vision was for soccer in Calgary, but also in Canada. Tommy's originally from the U.K., and... um, you know, came here with all that training and background and had a pretty pretty cool career himself and then kind of went into the coaching aspect of it. And so we, we get into a bunch of things. And for people who don't know, um, I played soccer since I was seven years old and um, played on different provincial teams and stuff throughout the years and, and played in university as well. So, I mean, I love it. I, I, I love the game and I think it is the best game in the world. And um, I, I really have had a, a real passion about the sport and especially the sport here in Canada. So, we, we touch on that. We talk about what's got to happen in Canada for the game to improve and for things to get to the next level. And Tommy's got some really great insight on that and what he's noticed, you know, coming from the UK and coming to Canada, how cultures are kind of different and kind of that plays a role in how the game develops. Also, um, we talk about the importance of sports psychology, which seems to be a growing field right now with regards to sports, um, as how do you get your mind right? So we all talk about getting the body right, getting stronger, getting faster, more powerful, more flexible. But how do you do all those things with regards to your mind? How do you make your mind as strong as it possibly can be? And so he's got some really cool thoughts on that and some cool stories with regards to that. And, of course, the coolest thing was, I mean, he talks about his vision, um, grand vision of bringing professional soccer to Calgary. He thinks that's a real true possibility and um it was really cool to be to be around someone who's got that kind of energy and fervor for the game and it was kind of contagious and so we kind of just played off each other with regards to that and um he's i really believe he's going to make it happen man he's a dude who uh 
is committed and he's passionate about it and he's got a great team up there as well uh, with the Foothill Soccer Club who are uh, who are all rowing in the same direction. So there's no reason to believe that uh, it's uh, it's not going to be uh, a real possibility and uh, and, and going to happen at some point. So those guys, his team right now, the under-23 Foothills Club, I think are in first place right now as it stands in their division. This was recorded before the season started, just a week or two before the season started. And I uh, want to get it out here right now to uh, to let folks know they've got some home games coming up. So you can go to the Foothills uh, Soccer Club uh, website and check the, check out the dates for sc- schedule for games. And uh, I went to the first one, man. It was a lot of fun. There was a big crowd there. They had bands playing. You got a beer gardens going. And uh, it was a really cool environment. And you can see they're going for a pro feel to this. So I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a great time. So anyway, I hope you, wherever you are, you can sit back, you can relax, or you, if you're on a treadmill, continue to just bust it out on the treadmill for the next hour and change. Listen to uh, my amazing conversation with uh, Mr. Tommy Wielden Jr. Enjoy. Testing one four six eight. That sounds really good. I like it. Here you take one of these sticks. It's talking to I'm that in. one. Wow, how's that feeling? Feels great. Awesome. Um, here with Tommy Wielden Jr. Buddy, what's going on? Nice to meet you finally. I know. Yeah, we've exchanged a few things over social media, so it's uh, nice to. We've already started having some uh, jokes. So where where are, where are we right now? Where are we sitting currently? In the boardroom of the factory, uh, the Foothills uh, training facility, which we dubbed the factory. So you just gave me a tour, and I'm going to say, man, I am blown away. Like I, I expect to come in and see some offices, maybe a little bit of you know a little bit of turf kind of thing. But it's like, it is an impressive setup. Like it's it is like a professional soccer setup. Like I guess that's the vision. That's the vision you guys yeah. have from the get go. Yeah, I mean our um, our main vision actually, if you look on the board behind you, and the top of it, it just says to to change the landscape of Canadian soccer. We're here. To make a difference, you know we've um, we developed some good players, some some good coaches, and we've got we've got players of all standards. This country does a great job at grassroots, community-based soccer. We just haven't made those leaps into the next level yet. We don't have a professional league here, so until that comes upon us, we have to find solutions. So we want to be part of that solution, and we want to help change the landscape. and And we're doing it by creating a club, creating an atmosphere, creating an environment that develops players, people. Um, and, and wants to push boundaries. Well, it looks like I mean, it looks like you're on the right track. Like I played, I played soccer since I was six. Played in university, mm-hmm. played at a senior level, like Challenge Cup level, back in Newfoundland. And then I came to Calgary in 2003, and I played a little bit of Premier and stuff. And then I started stand up, so yeah. I, my schedule just didn't allow it. So, but I miss it. So I'm playing Masters now. Mm-hmm. Still thinking I'm playing, still playing Premier League. You know, <laughs> like just kick from behind. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's go time. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I gotta learn to relax a little bit. But. Uh, it's one of those things. Like I, I you know, I, I remember watching 1986 Canada qu- qualifies mm-hmm. for the World Cup, and that was in the qualifying game was in St. John's, Newfoundland, right, right? And King yeah, George, yeah, yeah. King George the Fifth. So you know, I was a kid at the time, and I remember watching that, going, I'm, "This is awesome!" Every four mm-hmm. years, I'm going to get to see Canada, you know, mm-hmm. playing a World Cup, and yeah. here we are in 2017, and it is yet to happen on the men's mm-hmm. side, you know. And for you, as a guy who's involved in the player development so- side of things, 
What do you think is lacking in today's player, maybe on the men's side specifically because the women, of course, mm -hmm. it's a different game, but what do you think is lacking on that side that's prevented this team from qualifying for World Cups you know, year after year? Well, if you, if you think back to 86, um, the U.S. was in a similar boat. They didn't have a, a professional league. They'd tried and flirted with the old NASL days of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, right. New York Cosmos. It failed. They didn't have the right business model. Um, USA 94, the World Cup there, give them the opportunity to, you know, give it another go with the major league. Um, yeah. And, and it, it didn't last, uh, you know, oh, sorry, the first few years were, were sparse, but then they found a good business model that worked. I think what Canada is lacking since then is every other country has grown with their professional environments and their academies going on. So we've added, you know, improvements in science, technology. The game is still the same, right? Yeah. The fundamentals, you've got to control the ball, you've got to move, you've got to be an athlete. All the principles are still the same, just the, the additionals around it. So what Canada's lacking now is we don't have a league for our kids to grow into. So we find that when they get to 16, 17, grade 10s and 11s, they already know if they're going off to university, that's their path, or they're just playing for recreation. There's no third option of that, right? There's a, there's a pro pathway, um, and that's why we tried to bridge it with our PDL and now our UWS women's team, because we want to add that next layer so that when this professional league comes, we've got players ready and we're not waiting. Rock and roll, yeah. Mm. I mean, when I first moved to Calgary, I think there was an outdoor team. I think it was called the Calgary Mustangs. And I think yeah. they played at McMahon Stadium. Yeah. And I remember sitting there watching this in this massive football mm -hmm. stadium with the football lines yeah, yeah. and stuff. And as a soccer purist, you know, I was like, oh, come on. Really? Yeah. You know, and, and it was way too big. And there were a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. But when you have a stadium that size, it looks empty, you know. And I, you know, I often think about Beckham coming to mm. MLS and, you know, mm -hmm. playing on the, the first set of pitches he played on was yeah. like, you know, a football, American football yeah. end zone. He's taking a corner kick in and like it, you know, it kind of reeks of kind of we're not taking this as mm -hmm. seriously as we need to, mm -hmm. you know. So how much part of this, you know, pathway is facilities is kind of let's look the part a like let's let's start from the very bottom. Yeah. What facilities do we mm -hmm. need? How much of it is that, do you think? Oh, huge. I mean. You referenced there the Mustangs. I was with the Storm, which was the team the year before. It was rebranded to the Mustangs under new ownership. Right. Um, but like I said to you in our meeting prior, like we were training on you know bobbly school pitches at Bishop Carroll or just right. off Crowchild. Yeah. Um, our stadium was actually I've got a picture of it in my office. It was the Glenmore. Uh, sorry, not the Glenmore. The uh, Foothills Athletic Track. So right. everything else had a, had another usage, which which is good. I mean, you you see that you know BC Lions and Vancouver Whitecaps share BC Place, yeah, yeah BC Place. But when Vancouver plays, they roll out and it's soccer specific. It yeah. looks, feels, smells like soccer. Yep. When BC Lions play there, it looks, feels, smells like football. Right. I think we can take a lot of heart from say the Calgary Roughnecks uh, on the environment. They make it an event, and I think that's the the, the key piece of this puzzle is make it a sporting event. So if we are to create a professional league here, like we've moved to the soccer center because we want it to look, feel, and smell like a soccer place. Right. Um, we want to create an event, so we want bands there. We want local bands as well as local players. And in the beer gardens, it's going to be local beer, you know, sort right. of, you know village brewery. So we've got that local fear, but, but we want fans to have an experience. So if they're, you know, you and I are chit-chatting in the beer gardens, we're enjoying games in the background, but for the hardened fans, they're watching it. For the kids who want to watch it, they can watch, or they can be in the kids' zone. Right. It has to be an event. That's the North American sporting culture. Right. Everyone feels like there's, mm. there's a little bit of something for everybody mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's, it's one of those things where you, you know, you look at Calgary as a big city. It's like 1.3 million people mm -hmm. now. And I know in the stand-up comedy world, guys often say, well... You know, you're in competition with the other comedy clubs mm -hmm. around town or other yeah. comedy events. And it's like, you're not. You're in competition with 
every other option there is out there. Mm-hmm. And not just public event, but also cell phones and yeah. YouTube. And yeah. people can stay home and watch movies on demand now. Yeah. Like It really has to be something big to get mm-hmm. someone to go online, buy a ticket, or get off their ass, get a babysit, whatever it's they got to do. Mm-hmm get in their car and drive to said venue, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like there has to be a pull there. It's not enough to just want it. Like, well, we have this thing. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but what separates you from every other option, you know? And I think kind of that's what you're speaking to a little bit. It's kind of like what, how many hooks can we put in the water to kind of get as many people as we can to get behind this thing? Yeah. I mean, we've, we found, found it, you know, so we've built this uh, wonderful club. It's got great steep history, you know, back to the days of when Owen Hargreaves came out of it and Kevin McKenna, Canadian captain, we, we've had some some great successes early on. So we, we've just wanted to add to that culture. We've gone in the last 10 years, Trent, from 300 registered players to 3,000. So from grassroots to U18. So then we've added the top of the pyramids with PDL and women's. And what we thought was great, you know, we've got 3,000 built-in supporters. Yeah. But then we're actually competing with their own schedule. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, these busy yeah. soccer moms and parents, we're out four or five times a week with their own kid. Right. And then we're adding a sixth event and they're like, uh, I want to go just watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Right. I want to fire the barbecue up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we've, um, we've had to rethink a little bit of our strategy in terms of let, let, let's make an event that it's worth their time. Yeah, exactly. That kind of, it, it's, it's what, uh, it's a good definition of what, someone redefined the word remarkable for me and and it meant remarkable means worth remarking on so that mm. at the end of it someone tells someone else and says man i went to this game it was amazing this beer tent great yeah. pitch game was fantastic they're telling others it's shareable mm. like there's no better marketing for anything i don't think than someone having a great experience and then sharing that with others because people trust one another mm. right you, you yeah, can put yeah. posters up you can have the great fanciest ads but at the end of the day, nothing has more value than someone going, man, I went to a great steakhouse. You mm-hmm. should, you like steak. You should yeah. go because we have a trust. Yeah. So you're going to go as opposed to a poster that says, we have the best steak. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Come check us out. That remarkability is kind of what I think pulls things along, you know. Well, uh, for, uh, Danny A., our board member, when you talk about marketing, we always come up with ideas. And he's quick to say, well, how many times have you bought a watch because you've seen it in a magazine? You don't, so you, yeah, you don't, you don't react. But if someone says, "Hey, well, that's a nice G-Shock," or yeah. you know, uh, "That's a nice Rolex," or, I got it from that guy. They're great deals, and you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a face to face, and that's it's. Yeah. We're in a human industry, so we have to market a little bit differently. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's got. There's got to be that pull there and that human connection. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right when you're building from the ground up and you have players that you're developing. I mean, mm-hmm. what's what's a thicker human connection mm-hmm. than that when you mm-hmm. got this. This guy or girl has been born and bred here and have come through the system, and you've, you're now seeing them have their day run mm-hmm. out on, onto the pitch and at this level. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the big victory, right? It is. Well, you look at um, – well, you, you're in the, in the showbiz and entertainment sector that you look at the, the turn in reality TV since Big Brother. Right. We're, we're all people watchers, right? So right. we're sitting in airports, and we're, like, watching, judging, and then – What's the story? Yeah, what's the story? And my, yeah. my wife, I was leaving for work yesterday, and she said, oh, you've got to see this. I went, what? It's Dancing with the Stars. And I went, well, it's not really for me, but <laughs> Mr. T was on there, and, uh, all right, and she in. said, yeah, I'm in. I'm done. <laughs> Pity the fool that watches Dancing with the Stars. That's right. <laughs> walks out while I'm watching, <laughs> while I'm on TV. And you're just like, is he going to kill me yeah, from yeah. the television set? Yeah. So but she said, no, 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 watch, watch, and there's this football guy. So she rewound it back to it, and they did the human interest story, and it had me choked. I was going to work like this, and it had the girl that's the Olympian, and she was fostered as a three-year-old. And suddenly now, I've got a deeper appreciation for who these people are and their stories. Right. And that's the story we've got to try and tell about our, our players. You know, why do they play? Who do they play for? Right. It's the human connection, They're and we, we're all suckers for it. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's mm. it's one of those things that uh, even comedians now, because mm. everything is a behind-the-curtain peek, right? Mm. Like. 
excuse me, even for you guys walking through here today, like I don't know if you have videos about your facility and, mm. and all those things, but just being here two minutes, it kind of, it, it already spoke to me about like you guys aren't messing around. Like mm. this is a real thing you've put time, money, energy, and resources mm. into. And then that piques people's interest mm. now because now that's like, well, someone's already got blood in this thing. This mm. is this is not, ah, we're working out of a school and we got a yeah. little thing and Joanne works in her basement yeah. at her house. Y it looks the pro look, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that that I think that builds momentum too mm -hmm. for people. People want to be a part of something that is moving in the right direction mm. at the end of the day, you know? Um, I got. I had tickets to the uh, Women's World Cup here a couple of years okay. back, you know. So I've been kind of following that team. I've been really impressed at how the style of play has changed mm -hmm. over the, the years. So it's not as much, you know, dump and chase, and mm -hmm. we're going to defend, and we'll, you know, the Canadian brand of soccer is tough and nails. Mm -hmm. I found, you know, Herman came in and kind of let them play. Let's keep the ball. Let's mm -hmm. play possession. Let's mm -hmm. go from left to right. Let's wait for openings. Mm -hmm. And it changed so much. But one of the things I noticed was very organized defensively. I thought great possession play. But when they got in the attacking third, it was like they ran out of ideas. Mm. You know, you had mm -hmm. Sinclair who was kind of a step behind where her mm. peak years mm. were. And and I often think that when we watch other teams play, just that level of comfort. And the term I like to use is, is confidence, where you're calm and confident at the same time mm. under pressure, in tight spaces, you can make decisions. Mm -hmm. You're not going to panic under pressure. And I felt like... That was kind of just lacking. And I think in the, in the Canadian game overall, mm. it's just that ability. Can you deal with pressure in tight situations? And when you have to think very quickly, can you do it? Mm. You know, and Are you finding that with the development of players? Is kind of how do we teach that ability to, this option's just been taken away, what's mm. plan B? Now that's taken away quickly, just that ability to fire quickly. Well, I come, it's cultural, right? So um, a friend of mine uh, said to me, you know, we haven't created the Canadian Giovinco, you know, the TFC player. Right. And uh, we got into a really good uh, topic of conversation about it, but it's it centered around, you know, our culture. And in Canada, like my, my wife's came, my kid's Canadian, I'm uh, a Canadian citizen now, I've been here 15 years. So I appreciate the culture that we're very good at sharing. Right. So you go down to the grassroots stage where my kid's coming through and I've sat in the nines, tens, U10s, parent group, and they're saying, pass, 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 open man, pass. They want to share the ball so everybody feels part of it. Right. Yet, Giovinco probably was the dribbler at that age, taking people on. You know, look at that right. kicking and screaming, pass to the Italians. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have been doing that stuff, and right. nobody had blinked an eyelid because he probably played with his mates on the streets. We've got to make it okay that these kids are going to be dribblers and right. they're going to play, and you know they're going to hog the ball a little bit because when the defense is tight and locked down, you need that creative one to unlock it. Exactly. And right now, we can't just pass them to death. We have to have a little bit of creativity, and creativity is born out of tight situations and the freedom to express. Exactly. And the, I think it's it's like anything in life, too. I think you have to have been given the freedom to fail. You mm. know, you can't – and if a kid does lose it – I mean, yeah. one of my friends who I play with through university and going up through, he started to coach a provincial team back in Newfoundland, and he would tell the kids, you know – we're going to we're not playing dump and chase. This is going to mm. be possession. And I know you're going to turn it over from time to time and you're not going to get a bollocking from me on the other side of the pitch going, mm. you know, what do you do? And now you're off. It's kind of mm. like that's part and parcel of this of this game, mm. you know, is that ability to create and try and make decisions. Now you have a framework and a mm. strategy that you're working with, but yeah. but kids have to be able to fail, you yeah. know. And if they don't feel comfortable in failing, you play tight, mm -hmm. you don't feel like you have that ability to be creative and be free, mm -hmm. and it kind of defeats the purpose of what you're kind of going for in the first place, you know. Yeah, it's a constant education uh, thing now, Trent, isn't it? Um, and it doesn't just stop at coaches teaching players. 
it, it is as technical staff supporting our coaches with the why. Why do we want them to dribble it? Because we want them to own the ball before they share it. Then we have to go to the parent groups and say, hey, listen, it, this isn't finding Nemo where they go, mank, 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 pass, yeah. pass, 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 pass. We don't want to hear that. We want to say, you know, clap, support, cheer them. Don't tell them what to do. Allow them to be creative. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because I was going to ask you that. You know, you, you're instructing them on one mm. way to play and what mm. to do, and mom and dad are coming and they love yeah. it. They love Billy or Susie or the whatever. Car ride home. Exactly. Mm. And it's like now they also have to face that. And so the old man's in the rear about, mm. you know, because I've always felt part of the problem with Canada, with the Canadian game, has been there's been a hockey mentality. And in hockey, yeah. there's a lot of dump and chase. There's a yeah. you know, gain center, dump it in, we're going to four check now, mm -hmm. cycle or for a line change, yeah. you dump it, you get off. And so I think it's hard for some kids to rewire their brains to go, no, 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 I want you to keep it, or I want yeah. you to make the pass, or we're actually going to go backwards with it. Like, yeah. that's that's a foreign <laughs> concept <laughs> to a lot of kids. Yeah. Like, we'll go, wait, but the net is yeah. up that way. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know, but he's open behind you, yeah. so we're just going to, no, no, I got to yeah. dump it in the corner, we're going to yeah. go chase it. So there's a bit of rewiring, I think, yeah. that you have to do with just regards to parents and the instructions they're giving, but also that hockey carryover or hangover, if you will. You know, I don't no, know if you agree. But well, uh, and, it, and it doesn't help here. You probably played in the indoor game here. Right. Yeah, it looks and feels like it's <laughs> hockey. Yeah. It's so just, yeah, I'm gonna let this hit the boards first, and then I'll get it. Yeah. It's like you get rewarded, to, you know. You he cross checked me, ref. I mean, he, 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 he <laughs> there was no stick, but he did the motion, and I and I fell into the boards. Uh, that's right. Like it's it's just reinforcing those yeah. habits, right? So we're trying to change it, and we we've tried to come up with a foothold, but with that, we're still, um, you know, shoehorning a square peg into a round hole because we're still not we're not of that. We've got too many players. We've got an outdoor roster trying to do it indoor. We're still not getting it correct. So with our new facility build, we want to open up an option of you know 7v7 soccer with no boards. Just play. A, mm. a smaller version of your 11v11 or 8v8, depending on your age. Yep. But just play. Right? A couple of keepers and you roll the ball out, you play. Roll on, roll off subs. And there's no real looks like hockey because you bang on. You, you, and I remember I, I couldn't understand why parents would applaud. Great kick, Jack. <laughs> Good hustle, Alyssa. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, he's just lumped it down the field. Yeah. So then I went to my first Flames game, and I didn't really know how hockey was played. And they, they put out, and they all cycle off, and they line change. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah good. And I'm like, ah, it's there the Pavlov dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's a wrongful reward, and, and they were reacting. So yep. we have to change that culture. Yeah. Well, you're right, because it's like you're actually, the purpose there is to actually give it to the other team yeah. so we can get players off. It's like... Yeah, but the game, soccer doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. We want to keep it. Uh -huh. We're punished if we give it away. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, dude. I was at a Flames game years ago, and there were three British guys sitting behind me, and uh, I'm just here overhearing their mm. commentary. They've never been to a game before. They're saying this, they're, they got the gear mm. on, and they're yeah. so excited. So Ginla's with the Flames at the time, so, yeah. of course, he starts the game. 35 seconds in, you know, there's a big hit, and they're losing their minds because they're mm. like, this is just so physical. They're going crazy. And then Ginla skates off, and they're like, fucking hell. He's gone <laughs> off. He's gone off. We paid. 80 fucking pounds. He's gone off. Is he injured? Like, they didn't realize he could come back on. Like, this was, they thought he was done for the day. <laughs> and I was like, I turned around and go, no, no, no. He'll be back on in like two minutes. I'm like, what? Because he's gone off. And they, could, they were in yeah. shock. And then the other thing they couldn't get over, like, one guy goes, do they always play the same system? Do they always play with two in the back and three up front? Do they ever play with. They ever play with just three in the back and just one up top, and like I had to explain. That's actually very good English you know accent. <laughs> you don't I sound Australian. I sat, I sat in the car for an hour, just all right. I don't know where do I. So, uh, but it was weird to watch yeah. them watch hockey. You know, the mm -hmm. Canadian game, but it's kind of that you know the reverse of the re of the mm. wiring, right? Where it's yeah. kind of like, why would you give it up? Why would? Why is he going off right mm. away? So it's kind of the other way around, which I thought it was just hilarious to overhear. You know, 
Um, for well, you basketball, right? So the same thing, yeah. right? Imagine basketball where he's, he's, he threw the ball out of bounds and everyone, great throw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite <laughs> is, happen. my favorite is, uh, you know, you play that dump and chase yeah. style and you would, you'd yell at the forward for not yeah. being there. Like, Hey, you're going to be on your horse. He's like, I'm on the other sideline <laughs> and someone smoked it down this line. And we expect this guy to go 80 yards across the field uh, and know where it's going, yeah. you know? And it's like, and now this guy's like, I don't know what you want from me. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, um, and even like, I remember like, you know, you know, you, you play at a provincial level, go to nationals, Atlantic tournaments mm. for us on the East Coast. And to go to a to play at a level then where possession is mm. key and also just smart pressuring even, mm. like where you're you're not going in to steal up ball, you're going in to take a passing lane away. You're mm -hmm. trying to force a pass to go in a direction. Mm -hmm. um, for you now, coaching players on a day-to-day -day basis, that defensive philosophy mm -hmm. of like it's not about you it's about the second pass mm -hmm. or the third pass that we're going to win mm -hmm. how quickly are players able to kind of grasp that concept of, of, of pressuring and taking something away Pro probably depends on stage of their development right. so i think for for the young kids so if we're saying like they're they're, they're in their foundation or the phase of the, their development just want the ball yeah they want the ball so yeah. if they don't have it now uh, it's 1v1 everything's close like i've got to jockey you and right you, you simplify it right what's his strong foot so if he's a right footer let's force him on his weak foot and right. that's about as far as it gets right so it turns over so quickly as at young ages right. but when you're talking now at u18 or, or the pdl level where teams do keep the ball so we'll go down stateside and we'll play portland timbers um they're under 23s or lane united are really good they're, they're coached by a guy that spends his winters at villarreal in la liga oh, wow. so he brings back spanish players and he plays a very good spanish system and they're hard to get the ball off of right. so we have to then call it, we call it triggers. Right. So if we can win it within three, three passes, we press like, like Tasmanian devils. Yep. If we don't, we regroup into a footprint that is no bigger than, you know, the width of the 18 yard box and, and centered around the circle. Right. So we have a uh, reference points on the field and then it's patient, patient. And the trigger would be a backwards pass. We step up or a bad touch or a or bobbly ball or an aerial ball that we can then hunt. And we add that. We used a hashtag last year, hunt together, right? because that's pack. what we were. We were a pack. Right. So it, it fit great with our philosophy. And that's what we were successful with last year with our PDL. We went down to the U.S. and all these teams and players that were either professional from UCLA Div 1 right. or you know Stanford National <coughs> NCAA champions. And they seen these bunch of lads. I had a lad walking around his Birkenstocks from Lethbridge College. <laughs> and I had a lad from Grant McEwen coming down and a lad from Mount Royal and Calgary Dinos and a lad that didn't even go to college. And right. Nobody knew who our boys were, but they were team. And we, we, we worked very hard on our off-the-ball defensive. So they got it, and it was successful for us. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because it is, it is so much. I mean, people talk about, you know, attacking as a, as a unit. Mm -hmm. But defense is so much mm -hmm. of that as well, where, you know, one guy goes, second guy goes. And then, you know, we've all been there where it's like the third guy was asleep. Mm -hmm. And it's like everyone else did their job, but that third guy fell asleep at the wheel, and, mm -hmm. and we let the other team out, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is as a unit and mm -hmm. kind of reading – what's happening all the time it's like it's not just enough well i'm in my area and i know what's happening it's like but do you understand where we're forcing this mm -hmm. guy do you understand what ball may come mm -hmm. as a result of that pressure that initial pressure mm -hmm. it's probably going to be an aerial one and what height is it coming at mm -hmm. so that means it's going to the, the knockdown is going to be somewhere yeah. in this region as opposed to a, a laser where it could go anywhere you know it's it's one of those things but i think that comes too with repetition over mm -hmm. time like just having been in enough you know getting the coaching off the field and, and talking about it but actually being in situations where you get mm -hmm. to, to realize and recognize those things real quick without ever having to think about them too much. Um, so it must be an important part of your season right now with so many new players coming mm -hmm. in. 
is getting those things ingrained into people so that they are just muscle memory. They're not things where they're just, well, yeah. where am I supposed to be? Is that part of what's going on right yeah, now? Yeah, so we uh, primarily, the PDL players coming in is, is mostly collegiate level athletes that are at the top end. So it's almost like a, a college all-star team. Right. Um, you, you're essentially extending their 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 college season so they we send them to the colleges and they're fit as, a, as anybody so a lot of a lot of the americans the ncaa have been using the pdl for that reason it's their summer prep into their ncaa scholarship right in canada we don't have that you know we only have six pdl teams but for for us so we we have and you're sat right behind the new donated smart board that we have nice we have to use a lot of visuals so when we're on the road we say Here's what worked for us, and we'll show you know the press after we won it before the three passes, or we didn't win it, so we had to then wait for the triggers. We'll show and reinforce our philosophies through visuals, and then it reinforces our message because we're only with them two to three months, so we have to hammer home that message very very quickly right. before they leave us. My listen, my idea would be to say you know the USL season is you know eight months. Now you've got a full team for that long, and you're going to have to ride the ups and downs. But yeah. we have to get our message. To it's great because we have to get it short, sharp, and in. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, so you can't fill them with too much information no. because then it's just like, well, I don't know. When am I supposed to be on this mm. free kick on the corners? I'm here. When yeah. we're pressing, we're doing this. When we have it, I'm mm -hmm. this. And you can fill a kid with too much information. Now we're just mm -hmm. out there lost. You know? yeah. So it's trying to make that muscle memory. I um, <clears throat> was at a fundraiser a few months ago, and I was sitting down. Brian Burke, for the, the president okay. of Calgary yeah, Flames, was yeah. the, the guest speaker. And it was, uh, it was so much fun because he's just so honest and blunt, yeah, right? You yeah. could ask him whatever you want. So one of the questions I asked, I said, uh, you know, we all know stats when you're looking at players and, you know, you're looking at mm. acquiring a player, you know, how many points he has, assists, goals, whatever, plus, minus, whatever it is. But I'm like, how do you measure the intangibles, mm. the, his ability to be a good teammate or a good leader or let's say his ability to play with a knock, for example. Mm. Like those things, how does one measure those? Like for you guys dealing with players at all levels, I guess at the end of the day, how much do you think success is attributed to to those things? The, you know, there's passing, there's moving, there's shooting, there's speed, there's strength, mm -hmm. all those things. But this internal mental part mm -hmm. of it and will, how much of it do you attribute success to that part of it? Huge. <coughs> Probably uh, after the, you know, the age of 17, 18, it becomes mental because now it's um it was a great article the other day uh it was a video clip of steven gerrard oh yeah yeah i saw that actually. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, being obsessed yeah he said i went into training every day to be the best player yeah there, there has to be that level of obsession that you know if he wasn't he would work harder with it so his mentality took over so you, you could argue that there was more skillful players that came out of the liverpool academy than him he developed into that player like frank lampard he was these guys were a year older than me so i was at swindon town as a youth player and these guys were at West Ham and Liverpool. I remember playing against Frank Lampard and thought, oh, he's a good player. Yep. But then I'd, he I'd hear that you know he was told he wasn't quick enough, so we'd get running spikes and go and work on that. Um, he, did, he wasn't a good enough finisher, so he would be the last one to leave practice. He was obsessive-compulsive about being better. Cristiano Ronaldo is the best. You know, In Alex Ferguson's leadership book, he talks, now he's in his 30s. He knows what weight he has to be to maintain his speed. So he knows he's one of the fastest players in the world, and that's a gift he's uh, three kilograms lighter than he was under his 30s because he thinks those three kilograms keep him to the speed. So mentality is is everything. You know, look at um, Buffon now who's still playing, yeah, yeah. you know, <coughs> in, his, in his early 40s that could be, you know, he could be playing in a Champions League final, you know, in a couple of weeks. True, yeah. 
he's just got that mentality to to persevere through. You know, yeah. all the best players have it. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's funny because in stand-up comedy it's weird. I mean, I found there's a lot of parallels between mm -hmm. doing what I do for a living now yeah. and and playing sports, where it's talent after a while starts to equal mm. up. Yeah. And then what's going to separate you from everyone else is your work ethic mm -hmm. and what you do out of the lights. So mm -hmm. when no one's around, what are you doing? You know, everyone wants to be on the stage in that moment mm -hmm. at Just for Laughs or whatever yeah. it is. Everyone wants to walk it on the pitch for yeah, the yeah. opening day and, yeah. and be in the starting 11. But what did you do in the, in the off mm -hmm. time in that? And I think, you know, times have changed so much when you, mm -hmm. when you read the old books and the interviews with guys, you know, back in the day about, you know, every after every game was a piss mm -hmm. up and, mm -hmm. and it's fish and chips and it's whatever. Yeah. And now it's like so much of it is taking care of your body and putting the right fuel in your body. You know, that's going to add another three, four years to your career or prevent injuries throughout the course of a mm -hmm. season. Is You know, we're talking millimeters mm -hmm. here or half a centimeter that could be the difference in a muscle pull or a tear or the body's just not quite ready. I think Giggs attributes mm -hmm. a lot of his longevity to yoga, you yeah, know, to yeah. just doing that. I mean, that would have been, you would have been, he would have been laughed at 20 years ago. It would have been like, what's mm -hmm. he doing? Like that's, yeah, yeah. we wouldn't have seen any correlation yeah, at all, yeah. you know, so, um, and for you, when you're looking at players, because I'm sure you've come across mm -hmm. these guys, so you look and say you got the talent package, you mm -hmm. got all the tools in the locker, but there's a part of that missing. Does that have you have you experienced that? Yeah. Way? Like that guy is there's something just not quite there. Whether it's drive or, yeah. um, you know, what I'm saying where the, the game goes, it's in the balance and it's tough now, and that guy disappears yeah. for whatever reason. Have you experienced that? Or what? Yeah, yeah, and and for me, passion jumps off the page at you, and you can see it. Like, listen, we met today, and I can see that you've got an energy for for what you do, you love what you do, uh, and, it, and it projects. For me, I, I go on that gut feeling, it's no different when I'm looking at players. Right. I can see if they're, you know, they're talented. I can also, I think I'm a good judge of the ones that, you know, are the kinesthetic learners, that they're the deep thinkers. Right. That mi they might not be as visible that, but you can tell that every loss or every mistake eats them up and they're driven to do more. That is the deciding factor. So any player that, you know, goes on and plays for the national team or goes on and gets paid to play. So Dominic Sator is our latest one. Right. So from last year, he was one of our better players, centre-back. Um, never was selected for the provincial programme coming through wow. as a kid. Never was selected for, you know, the, the NTC, what they call RPC, the, the national camps. Yep. Um, he went to University of, of, of Calgary. Right. Um, was one of their points getters for the five years he was there. And the Whitecaps just snapped him up because now he's, he's got a degree. Yeah. Or he'll be just finishing it. He, he had a great season with us at PDL, but he had that drive that no matter what happened, he rode that roller coaster. Right. And I'm sure in your career yeah. you can run parallels where <coughs> people said, "No, no thanks, Trent." Yeah. No, oh, that or you know you come off stage and going, "Ah, that was." Well, that yeah, wasn't. That, yeah, yeah. yeah, that yeah. Was sucks. Well, it is too. It's so much of it is overcoming failure. I mean, yeah. that's in life in general in a nutshell. Mm. But for players and for athletes, mm. I just saw um, on Twitter, Kale and Kyle just retired from yeah. the women's team or whatever, and and you know. It's tough to get into a squad. There's only so many players. You have injuries. Uh, life happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get selected. There's a million reasons to throw in the towel at any point in a mm -hmm. player or even in any anyone's mm -hmm. career at some point. Comedians, same thing. I've always said that I think frustration comes when people go, it's going to take this much work mm -hmm. plus this much time will equal mm -hmm. this outcome. Mm -hmm. And when these two don't add up, people are very, very frustrated. Yeah. Like, I saw myself here at this point after this many years with this much effort mm. and it's like no one promised you that like mm. you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. i'm sure there's players who go well you know foothills pdl is going to be i'm going to be on that squad yeah. next year it's like that's not been a promise from you or yeah. anyone else that's in your own head and that's great to have mm. those goals but what if that doesn't happen mm. now what's the plan you know mm. how can you overcome that adversity mm. you know <clears throat> and i think that's that's a, a trigger for life i've seen it all the time and stand up a lot you see people just 
angry. And I, mm. I was supposed to be the guy that goes, like, I don't know who told yeah. you that. I don't know who. But they get really, really frustrated with it. What, can, what contract did you sign to yeah. say? That? Yeah. But it's been in yeah. their own head in their own yeah. time. And, and now, you know, uh, Mike Babcock, of course, who's coach yeah. of the Canadian national team, men's hockey, um, you know, last couple of Olympics, and now coach of the Leafs. He's got a great little book out, and he talks about the quit line and about how mm. he goes, the greatest players he coached, their quit line was always so far away. That regardless of injury or performance or how the season went or contract negotiations, whatever, their quit line was so far in the distance. Whereas other guys, the quit line was really close. Mm. It's like, if this doesn't go my way, it's over. And they mm. might still show up, but they're not getting the same level of performance. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a phoning in mentality. Mm. And for young players, that's hard to learn, mm. especially if you're talented. I yep. think sometimes it's even harder for more talented players because they kind of cruise through the whole time. And now they get here and they're on the bench. And it's the first time they've ever sat on the bench in their life. Mm -hmm. That's a different mindset than when yeah. you're the man or you're the girl every single mm -hmm. day. Like mm -hmm. how... Have you had to deal with those players who come, you know, you know they've waltzed through their holes, mm -hmm. their minor system, and now they arrive at a certain level where, like, now you're not the, the key. You're not the yeah. cog. How do they take that, you know? And uh, do you know what? It's a, that's, that's the key to it. That's human relationships because you have to spot that in players. Unfortunate, I was a player myself, and I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a very good one. <laughs> right. But I probably overachieved because I was willing to work and put myself out there. Um, but I recognize that in players. So when we've had top players, and you bang on, They've been the top at their college. They've been the top in their youth team. And they've never been on the bench. So when they get put on the bench, they're then wondering, well, what's going on? So I, I found a way I have to preempt it. And I say, listen, I'm not starting you in this game. Here's why. Such and such in your position has just played well against them. You know, I feel he can do this. And if they say, well, I think I can do that. I say, okay, great. We'll agree to disagree. I'm just telling you why before I name the team in front of everyone else. Right. And I feel when you do that and treat them like human beings, they might not agree with you, but they respect the fact that you've taken the time to explain why versus putting up the 11 and then the seven subs. The, you know, that's, there's nothing worse than feeling like you don't belong. Yeah. But being explained, you know, breaking yeah. up with a girl over text or face to face. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not going to date you this week, but I'm telling you right now, here's what I'm looking for. And here's if you can provide. No, I know. I know you can't provide these things, but I'm going with her tonight. Yeah. And I'd like <laughs> it's not you. It's me. It's not you. It's me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, smiley face emoji. Yeah. If you text it. Uh, <laughs> I remember my university experience. It was the same thing. Like I'd, I'd been a starter on a provincial team yeah. all the way up through and city mm. teams and all those things. I get to Memorial University in my first year, I'm on the bench. And I remember mm. that feeling of like, whoa, this is mm. what it feels like. And you can feel really disconnected. Mm. And depending on the coach and their style and philosophy, they may not feel that you're owed yeah. a, an explanation as to why no. you're not starting. They may feel like, you know, you're a man, mm. suck it up. And mm. uh, when, uh, you, when your opportunity comes, it'll come. And it may not be for weeks. It yeah. may not be today at all. Mm. I remember uh, the female uh, university coach said that he actually had parents calling him at home and saying on behalf of their daughter, saying, you know, I, Lisa actually prefers midfield instead of fullback. And he had to have a team meeting and say, I don't want any more parents. This is in university, yeah, yeah. calling me at home to plead your case about where you think you should be playing or yeah. how many minutes you should be playing. Because that's part of it, too. As you go up the ranks, it's less and less about mm -hmm. equal playing time. When everyone gets mm -hmm. their shot, it's like you're in the business of winning at certain points. And mm -hmm. now tough decisions had to be made, you know. And, and I think it gets even more ruthless at the professional stage where the coach's career, like you've just seen this with the Flames, the coach's career is on the line, you know, picking the goalkeeper, um, the general manager, they have decisions, it pays their bills, their families have moved there, so there's a lot of pressure. So, you know, no different in, in soccer that there's been coaches that 
just ostracize the players, right? You're my 11, done. I don't need to talk to you because they're commodities to them. They, they haven't got right. a personal relationship. Not all coaches are like that, but there are many. So we've had players, you know, we've got a player that's uh, <laughs> playing in Eastern Europe right now. I won't name a t- team, but new coach came in and, uh, you know, speaking in, in, in his native tongue, he had to have an interpreter and he said, look, let's talk to your agent. And he said, okay, great. He said, I really like your player. He said, oh, good, good. He said, so I'll tell you what, if you give me 10,000 euros, I can guarantee he starts in the next game. Get out. And I'm like, this is a kid that we're telling him, you know, we wanted to, to, to use an example, like go and play professional. And then there's the other side of it. And you're like, this is just, that's not an uh, environment you want for the kid. So he's now got, he had a moral dilemma. The lad comes from, you know, a comfortable background that could have wrote the check. Right. But didn't on moral grounds. And you know what? That, that, that could cost him a season of games, he goes down the rung, he may, may never n- get another professional contract. That's true. But that's the ruthless side of professional because oh. it's people's life, their livelihood. And uh, wow. yeah, there's a there's a hidden side. That there's a dark arts to it. It doesn't involve in every <coughs> single club, but these are things that you can't prepare players for because no. it's that 0.1% that yeah. get there. Yeah, exactly. It's, mm. a, it's a weird thing because you're right. People... People feel pressure from the outside. I, I find when you when you're involved in TV as well, like you realize, you know, like I'm a comedian. Mm. I'm used to just showing up and there's mm. a mic and you go do your thing. You get in a TV set and now there's all these people running around. They all have a jobs and there's unions mm. and there's all this. Well, we had this experience three years mm. ago, so we want to make sure that doesn't. You're walking into all this back yeah. history and you're yeah. like, man, I'm just here to tell jokes about bears. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, do I? Do I sit here? Or I don't know. And they're all like. Uh, the talent is on his way down. I'm like, who's the talent? They're like, that's you. No, no, Trent. My name is Trent. McLake. But you realize there's all this back history and pressure. And I'm like, whoa. So it takes a while to kind of mm. process all that. And I feel bad for this kid you're describing because it's like, you, you know, he, he's trying to do everything above mm. board and, and just work. And mm-hmm. say, I'm willing to wait for my chance. Yeah, yeah. And then you get that crazy, insane, corrupt yeah. offer. And it's like, but this is my dream. This is what I want to do. And sometimes you got to make those decisions, you know, in the moment. I so mean, it's crazy. Leon Apgood's our boys' technical director. You won't mind me sharing this story. I remember I was released from Swindon. You know, I was told, listen, you're 18. You're not, um, we're not going to take you on. Uh, I had to go down to Torquay, which were a lower division, uh, professional team. And that's where I met Leon. And so we, we 17-year-old lads, and he was tiny. You know, he's uh, probably 150 pounds soaking wet, right. you know. And he's playing in League Four of England, which was rough and tumble guys. Right, and in, as a seventeen-year-old, he made you know forty appearances, professional appearances, because he was dynamic, he was quick, he used his body to the best of his ability, and he had a great season. The coach went on; they went, got to playoffs, had a great run. The coach got a promotion to another team. New coach came in. Not for me, kid. And that whole season, he didn't get close to the first team, and his contract ran out, and then he was out of the picture. Oh. So he, he, I mean, he uses those, those stories with the other kids and says, hey, you know what, it isn't fair. Like, I had one of the best scenes of my life, so I've done what I needed to do, and then luck took it out of my hands. So what do you do? What do you do? He yeah, said, yeah. so I couldn't, he, he just, he moved on. He's made a great career for himself, and he actually got signed back by the club years down the line because he went into the semi-pro circuit, banged in goals, right. and got back in, didn't quit. Right. So it was a nice story to it, though, and then that was before he came back out here. But there's... um. Yeah, it's sometimes things get taken out of your hand. Yeah, yeah. And, and how easy is it to quit in that moment, mm. too, to say, like, man, I, I did everything. Yeah. I know I emptied the tank on mm. my end, mm. and then this happens. And, again, that, that brush of, of unfairness, mm. and you feel, well, what, what's the point? You, yeah. know, you know, and 
that is hard. That's a hard lesson to learn. And some folks sadly never learn it. Mm. Like there's people who, I mean, we've all, we all know the guys, maybe it's for you. It's on the soccer side in Canada. It's the hockey player who's yeah. at the corner of the bar going, well, the team was yeah. already picked before I got there. Yeah. It's like, well, actually it turns out you, you were on the piss the night before and you uh, showed yeah. up hung over for the training. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, you know, and they could have been, had an amazing career maybe, mm. but they kind of self-sabotaged themselves or, Maybe they did everything they could and it didn't work out their way, but that was their quit line was yeah. right there. Well, that was it. I gave it a shot, and mm. it's like, okay, but you're not going to dust yourself off and go again. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing you're gonna mm -hmm. you're gonna kind of try and do. So it is it is a good lesson in life, I think, to plug in for anybody who's mm. listening about just your own life. It's not going to happen in your time always. I always like that Steve Jobs quote about you can you can connect the dots looking backwards. You can never connect them going forwards. Oh, that's so a good one. You, you know, like for yeah. when you look at where you are in mm. your life, you say. Ah, that's why I failed at that, mm. and that's why I ended up here, and mm -hmm. that's why I ended up there, and now I'm here. Really hard to do that going forward. Mm. You, don't, you can't see where this all ends mm -hmm. up at the end of the day, you know? So for you as a coach now, because <clears throat> we talk about player development, how do you feel you've developed as a coach? What things have you thought about in yourself? And you go, I want to I improve in these, in these areas. This is something that I want to mm -hmm. be better at. Do you, can, can you think of anything that would uh, – you can say, yeah, yeah, I look back on that time, and I go, ah, I needed to – be better in certain areas yeah i think you've we've just talked about it failure i think you you know to michael jordan one the amount of times you failed actually lines you up for successes so you know people can say hey listen great uh, i remember 2009 when my son was born won the national championship with our u18 boys and we won the final against ontario 7-1 and you're like wow that was pretty cool and then you build on and you, you don't get there the next year and then you have another team that you don't quite get there and then the pieces and then you know i, I was you know with another club before this and we, we were the fastest growing club in Calgary but we didn't have the right people around us so there was some infighting so when we came here you know we got a great business-minded board that allowed me for the fortuity to build a, a blank canvas of what I felt soccer development should be in this club um, then I hired the right people as support staff that were stronger in areas that I wasn't right so, so you find little pieces of the puzzle and like you said you look backwards to see what you're missing in the failures what you can do better going forward and then experience comes into that that the, the crystal ball gets a little clearer because of the experience because you've been there before yeah um so i think you know for, for me it's a, it's about um you know just using the experiences we've had to plan for the future so for me now we're not this pdl isn't that's our not our end goal you right. know this this canadian professional league that's coming out or you know if that doesn't happen it's usl or nasl i said you know calgary could be an mls city i, I still believe that yeah people think i'm talking crazy yeah yeah but i'd rather dream big and and, yeah. and go for it <coughs> but for me we want to have enough players ready for it we want enough players ready for our uws to go into the nwsl we'd like to have christine sinclair bring her portland thorns to calgary so all the young girls that supported the world cup come yeah. and watch her play We've got, you can see it on our board there, you know, we've got 10-year targets in there of, uh, you know, MLS, NWSL, CPL. You know, it's, we, we, we set a vision for the future because it makes us accountable for trying to get there. And yep. it can be as uncomfortable as hell, you know, because sometimes not everybody's on the bus with you. Yeah. It's hard, man. It's so, you know, when you, especially when your, your dream is so big, it's so easy to go, ah, you're right. Mm. What am I talking about? That's insane. But if you surround yourself with people who also go, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I can, I'll have a bit of that. Like, that's... That's really important. It's funny because as you were describing that, <coughs> you, you know, your development looking back, mm. I go like a lot of it is about parking ego, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's you look at, you know, I look at my own comedy career and there's times where, again, 
egos come into play. Mm. You've made decisions based on ego mm -hmm. because that's that's that whole timeline thing of what mm -hmm. you think you deserve. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you go, hold on a second, press pause and go, wait now, there's there's something to learn from this. There's something to take from this. And that's kind of the the smarter mm. side of you that steps in, the more soulful side of you, I think. And I think as a coach, I would imagine that parking ego has got to be something you have to do. Like it, it's got to be yeah. that ability to say, all right, I'm going to turn to someone and go, what do you think? Yeah. You know, like use some collective wisdom around a table, whether it's with regards mm. to the, the business model of the club mm. or, you know, in-game decisions where you, you turn mm. to your assistant and go like, ah, he's just, he's not getting it done. What do you yeah. think? Should we change formation or should I take him off or whatever? That's parking of ego. Yeah, no, I, you, you're right because when you first when you first retire, and you'll see this a lot with young coaches, is when you first retire as a player and become a coach, you're still thinking like a coach. Uh, sorry, still thinking like a player. So when somebody doesn't pass a ball, you're, you're like you're moaning at them like that instead of stepping back and, and looking at the view from fifty thousand feet. Um, so for me, that's been a big journey for me is emotional control. Right. I was a hot-tempered player. I think I got red cards. You know, same, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so that red miss comes in. There's no going back. So for me, I've tried to get that amber. So when you know green, oh, oh, we're good and we go. But when that you know conflict ha happens, can I hit that amber stage and just pause for a second? Right. Because if I go into that red mist, it's over. It's over. Yeah. I, I'm making de decisions based on emotion, right, and not for the good of the game. And I'm probably missing parts because I'm focused. So for me, you know, if I get challenged by a player, things I try and give that time because earlier on I wasn't as good. Right. But now later on. You know, I've been fortunate. I've, I was raised by a coach, like my dad's a, a, a professional coach, who's a professional player. So ever since I could walk, I was in locker rooms. Right. So I've grown up with it. So at the age of 16, I'm 37 now, I was actually coaching. Right. So even though 37 would be considered young for these players retiring, like John Terry's and Frank Lampard, yeah, yeah. Steven Gerrard's, I've been doing it for 20 years. So I've got 20 years of experience now that I have to lean back on to make me a better coach. So ego is one of them. Yeah. You have to park it because yeah, yeah. it can't be anything personal. Yeah. Because suddenly you're making emotional decisions and that's good for nobody and and it's hard. We oh, know that. Definitely. When someone criticizes you, whether it's you know, you know road rage or yeah, here in the yeah. supermarket, someone says that. Oh man, yeah, I've yeah. I've been I've been there and it's like it's funny because this year I started uh, this like quick meditation practice mm. like in the morning, just ten minutes sometimes, whatever, just where you kind of get rid of all the thoughts in your head and just have that quiet time or whatever and. Uh, I've actually tried it before some of my master soccer games, like just, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. And I go, part of it, and I wanted to ask you about this, was is preparation for things that you know maybe triggers for you. So for mm. me, I was a guy that liked the, I was comfortable on the ball. So mm. with that, of course, is going to invite, you're going to get yeah. tackles. You're going to yeah. get guys coming through the back of you. And it's like, I would sit there and go, if someone does come through the back of me, and it really hurts. <laughs> Am I going to have that yeah. amber moment, mm. or is it going to be straight up and in someone's face? And yeah. now I'm, I flick that switch, and now I'm that mm. guy for the next ten minutes, you yeah. know? And I realize if I could go back in my career, I would have been a far better player if I'd been able to learn that skill mm. earlier in my life. But I, I never ever, I mean, mm. I wasn't ready. I don't mm. think uh, emotionally to deal with it. But um, you know, Roy Keane talks about how he, his motivation was fear. He always mm. feared not playing well or losing. And I think when you play with fear like that, the next logical step is anger mm. because someone's taking something from mm. you personally. Mm. Like you, you're attacking me. When you come through the back of me, it's not about yeah. just, oh, I'm just trying to send a message for my team. It's like, mm. no, no, you're attacking me as a guy, mm. as a player, as a mm -hmm. man. And I, I always used to have difficulty separating those mm. two. And I would have been a far more effective player, I think, if I'd been able to go, he's just, he's just doing his job as a midfielder, you know, and I'm a guy mm. and I hold on to it. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's gonna happen. So it took me a long time to kind of learn that, you know. As, uh, that and it's, it's <coughs> your line, isn't it, right? So you got your values. So if, if, if respect is one of your key values, 
you feel disrespected if somebody's you know uh, right. ta- taking that away from you. Yeah, and that's where you temper, and it's so hard. Like it's yeah, it's no different in the walk of life. Yeah, and I realize too when I look back on my life, like uh, you know, my grandparents raised me, and my childhood was kind of like a little bit mm. foggy in, in different areas. So I felt like having a soccer ball at my feet represented so much more mm. for me. It represented control and life in general. Yeah, yeah. So there was far more emotional attachment to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for another kid, it was like, I'm just got this ball mm. and I'm playing. I'm like, no, 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 this is who I am as a person. Yeah, like, this is yeah. what I identify with and makes me, I went from being a kid now who's chosen first mm. in team selection. So you, you, your, your kind of status changes as yeah, a result of your yeah. ability and what you can do on it. So you're, you're bringing all this emotional luggage to a really simple game that <laughs> should be fun and kind of lighthearted. And I'm like getting hit from behind. And it's like, oh, all this rage <laughs> coming. Like this kid's like, I don't know. I tripped up. And I <laughs> it's like, oh my, got this guy by the throat, you know? Mm. So it's like, you know, you, l- you learn those things, I think, you know, so, and again, some people mm. never learn them, but it took me a long time to kind of learn that. Like, all right, this isn't all about mm. you. This guy's not out to mm-hmm. get you. This guy's not out to to do those things and because you, you know we did the tour earlier and you talked about having your sessions where someone's going to come in and talk about sports psychology mm. and and i feel that really is lacking for a lot of young mm-hmm. people you know because we've, we've yeah. all just we all just go and we play but if you don't do that other stuff what about if the worst happens mm. what about if you you're out there the first 15 minutes and you can't even you're not stringing a pass together at all mm-hmm. this guy's running your business in midfield what is plan b mm-hmm. like do you have a mental plan and i think you guys seem to be y- you guys want to approach that and kind of put that mindset in place yeah. for players yeah we do so for us we see it as you know there's there's different layers of it we're, we're big on ball mastery so our technique side that's the foundation it's like building the eiffel tower right yeah you gotta have a foundation so the, the the peak can go high. If your foundation's weak, you're not gonna have a big tower. So, as part of that foundation, once you got that, you, you've got to have athleticism. So we've got a sports science department. Chris Wright, who we brought over from Birmingham City, he uh, he comes out here and he designed a program that will make them soccer specific athletes. Right. Right. And then part of that is now, you know, Troy Flannery, our girls director, who you met, he's um. Y- you know, he did a bit of psych in his university, and he brings a little bit of that mental side to it because. You can't play the pretty possession football the whole time. Sometimes teams are going to prevent you. It's not a chess match where I'm going to take my move and place it there. Now you're going to take yours and put it in there. Right. We're actually having contact. Yeah, yeah. And you're there to <laughs> ruffle mine up, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's contact. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's war. It's an invasion game, and that's where it was yeah. born out of. So when people ruffle up your game plan, you have to have a plan B. And a lot of the time is that emotional to accept that they're not going to allow you to play the, your pretty way. Right. You're going to have to adopt the gritty style. And the gritty style comes from, you know, there's that book by Angela Duckworth, Grit. Right. right. You know, it's, th- it's the fight men- mentality. I think what we've started doing with our older players, now we've got um, this, this stage of grade 10s and above, where it's our generation, so our generation next. Where, where are they going next? So are they going to university? Are they going to UWS or, or yeah. men's PDL? Or are they going into pro? So part of that is mentality. So we once a week now we'll sit with them and go through scenarios and try and put them uncomfortable. Nice. A friend of mine works for Southampton Academy. I'm sure he won't mind me sharing this, but well, um, maybe he will. But it's too late now anyway. <laughs> if you're listening, uh, it's out in the world. Yeah, now. it's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No? Shall I name him? Don't uh, listen no. to it. Yeah. yeah, it could have been any of them. But yeah, no, yeah. he he said, look, we actually they th- and they're a brilliant academy for you know Gareth Bales and Theo Walcott and all yeah. these players that come through, Oxley Chamberlain. Um, but he said part of theirs now is is they have to get them in the, the the chaos theory. So they'll make the coach will purposely pick on a player, pass it quicker, come on, and and then the whole time and then actually they'll record it 
And then afterwards, they'll say, look how you reacted when you're under duress. Right. But prior to this, they'll, they'll talk to a parent to say, hey, listen, here's we're going to rattle the cage of your, uh, uh, of your son and here's why. So right. they're on board, not like it, then it's uh, emotional bullying, but yeah, yeah. it's this whole new thing of probing and trying to get them into that red state of emotion yeah, yeah. where they're either fighting for it or they're flight and they're like, this isn't for me. Yeah. And I think it's a really unique way because yep. you imagine that now, uh, again, there's a comedian, you're up there and you've got all these hecklers having a pop at you <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you're just used to it and you're yep. bouncing off it. Like, yeah, seen it, heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. And, that, and that's, I mean, it speaks to experience as well. Again, mm. we talked about earlier, right? It's kind of been there, done that. Um, that's amazing because I, I really feel like that that's a huge part mm. of things are missing at a sport in general, mm. whether it's you know, it's whether it's soccer mm. or football, hockey, whatever. I was speaking to an Olympic um, uh, Canadian Olympic member one time, and, and she won a, a medal at the Olympics. And I asked her what what she attributed her success mm. to, and she said it was their mental training for what happens if things don't go according to plan. And I mean, not just with on the mm. day in performance. Mm. I mean, the bus is supposed to come at two o'clock, and the bus doesn't come at two mm. o'clock, and now we've got to scramble and figure out a way to get mm. to the venue. It's like, you know, I'm sure for you guys, you're going into new places. You don't know what the facilities yeah. are going to be like. Yeah, yeah. Is it like, oh, wow, this is, it's this, you know, it's half of this and you've got, you know, 18 guys in a locker room. That was like, our oh, playoff. Where do we put the kid? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Just so you're kind of, and how do the guys deal with it? How well, it was, it was funny. Our, our playoff was, um, I think we were getting on a plane in Calgary and five tickets weren't booked in the right names. So I had uh, an old roster that had been taken by the travel company we used and the, the, the flight was saying, no, no, you, you can't get on this flight. And it included me, my top scorer, Dominic Russo, wow. my centre-back, Tyron Hutchins, Graham Fisher, our ball-playing midfielder. And I forget who the fifth person was. I'm like, I've got to get these on, on this flight. Otherwise, we're going to miss tonight's game. And it was a playoff game. And uh, they're like, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. So I whipped out my credit card, went, right, boom, can you do this? Get on the w We got on that flight. Right. Got on that flight, went and won that playoff game. Then we go down to Tucson. Tucson, like 40 degrees heat. We're told we have to wear our black kits. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you guys are playing. No, you got to wear your black kits. So I'm like, okay. So we go out there, and it was our assistant, Leon. He said, look, have you ever seen the US UFC fighters that wear carry that four-gallon you know, milk jug right. of water? So the day before we get it, we throw in some electrolytes. Guys, I want this at every single meal, and I want you to draw a line every hour you're going to drink it. So they'd done it, and they flushed. We went out an hour before. We actually trained the day of the game in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. And all the guys from Arizona were like, these guys are crazy. They're Canadian, white Canadian boys what? that run around <laughs> up here. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they, they, they even said it on air. And we, we, we acclimatized. We went on one back-to-back -back games in the heat. Then we go to New Jersey. We were meant to host the semifinal championship. Right. They put in a bid. We put in a better one, we felt. We get there, and they, they tell us an hour before the kickoff, Oh, sorry, you're not going to the field. You're going to the community center to change. And we're like, but aren't you, like, isn't that, it's a requirement. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, what, uh, no, it's a community center. So we get to this community center. <laughs> it's like walking into the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> you got the granddad and the son coming out of the locker room. Bingo. Yeah, you got a bit of bingo. Eyes down. <laughs> Two fat ladies, 88. And you're, lo you're looking, and then there's, uh, you know, things going on. And the boys look at me, and we go into the locker room, and you couldn't, you couldn't get in there. All 18 guys couldn't get in there. And I said, there, there was a granddad and a young kid just coming out finishing it. There was some more. I said, no. I said, listen, boys, not ideal. What do we do? I said, are you happy to change here, or do you want to just go pitch side, put your gear on there in yeah. front of the public? Yeah. They're like, let's do it. I went, great. So we went there. 
and the pitch then, the grass length was longer than it should have been. It was like soggy in some areas. And I said to the coach, I said, come on. I said, you've brought us. And w- meanwhile, we've flown from Calgary all the way to New Jersey. Right. So you, it's, a you it's a long haul. We've yeah. been in Tucson the week before and Seattle the week before that. We were on the road. We just got hardened with it. Yeah. So when we get to the field and we end up winning 3-0 and part of it was the fuel. Yeah. It actually spurred for us. So so we we call it the what ifs. Yeah, yeah. What if it goes wrong? How we how we cope? What yeah. if this? How if we go up a goal, how can we cope? If we go down a man, how we cope? The what ifs. Yep. And we just became so good at the what ifs that nothing derailed us yeah. until until the final. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the referee gives you know again. Uh, I've was only watched highlights. Minute? Was it last last few minutes? Yeah, we we had a you know a penalty which again you you see it. It's like referees give it, referees haven't. But what got me was the fact that then we had something worse. Tofu Fakuni gets tripped right after in the box, about to take a shot, ball down, referee waves play on, and that was literally in the ninety second minute. <sighs> So, and you see, and this is why I'm not proud, but the whistle goes, and I just make a beeline for the referee. Like, yeah. I'm just getting up in his face, well, challenging him about it, and he's telling me where to go. I'm not proud of it, but you know what? I just seen my players, and for everything they'd gone through and the run they'd been on, were just dejected that a decision right. had gone against them. Not a piece of skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A decision, two decisions, had lost their fight for that ch- championship. Oh, so. It's hard. The what ifs. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's game of inches. It is, man. It's like how easy again to find reasons not to to perform on the day. And here's the thing, everyone would have understood because you would have had your list of excuses. Yeah. Here's what happened: the Mm. tickets, the da 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 da. da. Oh well, you know that's going to happen. But to have the fortitude and mentality of like, okay, it's us against the world here. Mm. Clearly, let's let's refocus. Mm -hmm. And it is an ability to kind of accept. Okay, this is what it is. We could quickly process it, and then we move on about yeah. the business. Like that's key. It's funny because in stand up that happens. You find people start in stand up, and uh, it's like anything. You know, mm. in sports, y- you want to have a good opening. Mm. You, know, you want to start. <laughs> well, it builds confidence. Same thing in comedy. It's like you want to start with something good, get some laughing. There's a trust yeah. built now between you and them, and then you, you've built momentum. But when you see new comedians and they start, and that first bit doesn't mm. go well, you see that confidence drain, and yeah. you go like, "Oh, you didn't you." You didn't have a plan for if the first joke didn't work well. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you're definitely not going to like the second one. Who's got a cat, everybody? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, what happens if, mm. hey, they're not into you for the first couple minutes, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. Uh, how are you for time? You got to be yeah, somewhere? No, we're we're good. Good. We've been yeah. a, an hour here, so yeah. we'll clue up here in a, in a second or two. Um, it's funny you talked about leaving players out earlier. Ferguson, did you ever see Gary Neville talk about Alex Ferguson about how he said he <laughs> yeah. would, he, he, said he could make you feel amazing <laughs> by leaving you out like yeah. t- you're going to start in yeah. that game next you're going to start yeah. that game next Thursday yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. yeah next Thursday I'm saving you for it yeah yeah, yeah. no no they got a they've got a shorter uh, front line there and I think yeah. it'd be more it's like but it, it is about making mm. everyone feel part mm. of it because if you have that dissent amongst your team and there's mm-hmm. someone who's not happy and and uh, what I found, you know, being on different teams over the years was as a coach, it's not mm-hmm. always obvious to you because you're not in those private mm-hmm. moments and private conversations. Mm-hmm. But if you have someone who's kind of rattling chains behind mm-hmm. the scenes and it's like, yeah, can you believe so-and-so is in a mm-hmm. lineup and I'm not and yeah. I'm not again. And that breeds through a team. Mm-hmm. It can go through a team real quickly like a virus. And so how do you keep everyone on page and go kind of like, no, no, you're still part of this. It's just not in the moment right now, but you're going to you're part of the bigger situation. You know, it's 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 really, really important. Um, it's, man, it's exciting stuff. So you guys are moving to a new building. Mm-hmm. Tell folks a little bit about this new building and what uh, what it's going to look like. Yeah, so so the club took a decision. I mean, we took you through here, the factory. Um, and it's a great training facility. But again, alluding to your point back before, we don't have a 
plethora of facilities around here. You right. know, there's there's more soccer players in Calgary. I think there's forty five thousand soccer players in Calgary, and three arenas. So yeah, you so so it's not it's not enough. I mean, there's there's plenty of hockey rinks around, but even ice times are struggling. So yep. instead of then putting it back on the city and saying, "Hey, when are you going to build that?" and then we wait and we wait angry yeah. at the city. Yeah, we've got a wonderful business board that I say, you know, Danny Hay leads that charge. He's a CFO in his uh, you know his real work, right. but he's got passion for soccer and he's been on our board and he, he was the one that hired me and said, "Look, what do you need?" And uh, we've always talked, and every couple of years we set some goals and. Facilities were one of them, and he come back and he said, "Look, you know, I've got this pl- plot of land, and we can buy this, and then we can build this, and there, here's the investment structure, and here's how we'll get it done." And he put together the numbers, and everyone just thought he was crazy because he was doing it in his spare time. Then suddenly, a couple other board members, Stephen Pipegrass, Mike McCuskers, are jumping on board to help him. These are guys who are VPs and CEOs of their companies, yeah, yeah. and suddenly we've got this momentum. So we've now got it's it's what eighty five thousand square feet. So it's wow. it's an indoor full-size 11 v 11 fifa size pitch so it is it is massive which allows us to do whatever we want with it we can cut it into quarters we can cut it into thirds we can cut it into eighths and we'll still have more space than we would have you know in school gyms yeah so we're, we're trained on turf we're gonna have a 5,000 square foot uh sports science department you know wow. with, with weights and and rehab and uh you know athlete development then we're gonna have mezzanine and viewing area you know a little cafe area that parents can socialize because like I said t- before, if they're out four or five times a week, make it comfortable for them too. Right. Because they're the one who are investing in their kids True. in our club. So this allows us to, to do what we want with it. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing, man. Um, it is. Like I said, w- as soon as I walked in here, I kind of felt like, oh, yeah, this y- you guys aren't pissing about. Like, mm. this, is, uh, this is legit. And when you start something with a certain amount of passion, it's amazing how other people then want to jump on board mm. because there's a momentum built to it. And – People do want to be part of something bigger than mm-hmm. themselves. You know, there are, there are. I mean, I'm, I'm still amazed when I go to soccer centers and see how many players, like mm. young and old, you know, either finishing a game or waiting to go on for a game. It's, it's a huge sport mm. in this city, and I, and I think it deserves professional soccer. It, it deserves. Does. The, the, I think the market is there if you have the right environment, mm-hmm. the right facilities. I think it's something that people will get behind here for sure. You know? Yeah, and and back to our conversation about facilities. It would have to be, you know, like have, you, have you seen these pop-up stadiums going on now? So, yeah, uh, Phoenix, who are signing DDA Drogba, they've they've built one in the middle of the desert, right? And wow. it's a pop-up stadium, but it's soccer-specific. Right. I think what we've got to do if we launch this professional league, we've got to have soccer-specific facilities so it looks, feels, smells like that, like soccer, and we're not, you know, shoehorning it into, you know, a football stadium at McMahon where it's a soulless bowl. Because right. you've got 7,000 hard fans in a 30,000-seater stadium. Right. Won't work. No, Bob. Yeah. So get them into a 7,000-seater stadium and have it packed to the rafters. Yep. So it's loud, it's noisy, there's an atmosphere, there's bands, yep. there's those TIFO banners that, you know, like yeah, yeah. Portland Timbers. Yeah. Uh, like, I've watched, it's fortunate, like, I played in the USLA League. So right. in our league, we had Montreal Impact, Vancouver Whitecaps, Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers, all these teams now. So I've seen where they've come from. And now they've just evolved into something really cool. And we've t- I've, I've been reading books on you know how TFC launched, how Seattle Sounders went from USL to MLS. And so when we're you know pushing our PDL, and if this you know like I said if CPL comes, we've got things to bring to the table to that franchise because we know what it's going to help get them to that point. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 amazing too because following you on social media and the and the Foothills Club, it's like seeing people at like pubs priming mm. up and like they're wearing the jerseys mm. and I, I'm walking down here and you guys got scarves and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like 
you know, you're building that culture, and I think it's almost like Calgary's been um, kind of starved of mm-hmm. all these soccer fanatics who've just mm-hmm. never had anyone to kind of cheer yeah. for and call the team their own. Mm-hmm. You know, and now you have people going like, "This is our team," and and seeing the momentum that was built last year. I mean, you must have felt it as being part of the club, yeah. but as the team, the PDL team went further and further and further. I mean, you know, I'm listening to Fan 960 yeah. and those guys, and I know those yeah. guys well, and they're great yeah. guys. And and all of a sudden, you know, you're on now talking yeah. about it, and here's what's going on with the playoff runs, and more and more people mm-hmm. are just getting involved and and. Uh, it was just really, really cool to see that momentum built, you know. Well, do you know what? I, I had it from my own son, who's seven, and he's he sees me as dad, right? Right. So he doesn't see what we're doing, but his friends were saying, you know, about when we lit the tower green and white, and yeah, he yeah. was so proud, saying that was my daddy's team. Yeah. You know, because people were talking about it was on the press, it was in the newspaper. We were just a Cinderella story, and for that brief moment, when there was nothing else, no other sport, we captured the hearts of the sporting community. Yep. The break has been too long. Hockey's taken over. What we've got to do now is start the season with a bang. Yep. F- have a real great event to the games and give people a reason to come to these soccer games and capture their hearts again. Yeah, for sure. I think you, and I think you'll do it. I want to ask you a, a one last question about um, about youth and kids playing. There's a big debate now about mm. kids and playing one sport year round mm. as opposed to a mm-hmm. little bit of this, a little bit of that. What's your philosophy on that? Do you think kids should be have a dabble in a few different sports, or do you think if you're going to be serious about this, you need to commit to this year round kind of thing? What's kind of the foothills philosophy? On this? Our, our philosophy as they're going through, you know, the early fundamental stages, so through you know, six, sevens, eights, nines, tens, elevens, twelves. Try other sports, absolutely. So we've, we've got kids that will play hockey in the winter and come back in the summer, and great athletes. Yep. And then they'll come to that T-junction around 12 where they're saying, actually, we can't be out four nights a week of soccer, four nights a week hockey. It's too much. So they make it anyway. For me, I encourage them to play school sports because it's no different, right? They're playing volleyball, you know, so they're right. through the winter. They'll play, you know, they'll do track and field. So we encourage it. So I think we've got to embrace school sports for the multi-sport athlete. Because we're going to compete for their time, and you don't want to have a conflicted kid. So we, we welcome them. If they want to, you know, at the younger ages, go and play basketball. Great, go, go play basketball. Most of them will play hockey. Right. And then they'll come back to us in the summer. So that works. But, you know, wh- when they have to make the decision, we then encourage them to switch over and participate in school sports. So they still have these different movements. Right, a bit of balance for sure. Mm. I remember when I played basketball in high school, I had more kickballs than anybody else because they tried to make a <laughs> they tried to make a bounce pass by my feet and yeah. it was just reaction to yeah, just stick yeah, a foot yeah. out and finally one guy goes he plays soccer in the <laughs> summer just don't just <laughs> throw him up high he's gonna like uh, I would just it was just it was just a reaction I was trying to head him all the time so um, okay so this is a last question pretty much so if you're you're a young player out there a boy or girl and your aspirations are to to play at the highest level mm-hmm. whatever that may be for that individual player. Um, what is your advice to that to that player who's listening and they, they have these big dreams and they want to see themselves running out on a pitch and being part of a, a starting 11 down the road? For you as a coach who's kind of, you know, you played at, mm-hmm. at a high level and you've you've been coaching now at a high level, what would be your advice to that person and their parents perhaps? You know? I think you just now the parents are a big part of it. Hung, hunger is one of them. They've got to they've got to have that burning desire to 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 play. So for me, I grew up in an era where Paul Gascoigne, Gaza, you know, w- was 1990 World Cup. He captured my heart, like my attention, and I was an Everton fan, and and I wanted to be him. So here, you know, what who 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 do you who do you love? Who do you is it Messi? Is it Ronaldo? My kid wears a Messi or a Lukaku jersey because right. they're Everton fans. So he's captured his attention. If they want to be like that, then go in the garden and be like that. Go to their school practice and be like that. Go to their club soccer team and try to be and emulate them. And once that happens, 
then be humble enough, and this is an advice to parents too, to not push their kids. Like I don't sit in the car ride home telling my seven-year-old, you know, he should have done this better or that better. I ask him, do you have fun? Did you give it your best? And what did you do well? Right. And then he tells me those things. Brilliant. And I just remind him, I say, I love watching you play. Right on. So, so and that's it. And I, I'm a coach. Like I've, I've got a degree in sports science and coaching. I've got UA for A license. I've coached thousands of kids. I'm not going to coach my kid the way that way. I want him. I want to be dad, and I want to support him. Right. And if he tells me he wants to go play basketball, he just wants to take up skateboarding, which he's doing now. Right. I want to support that too. So parents can't be overbearing. I see too many parents that are the, the, the ones calling and driving the agenda. My kid should be in the starting line. My kid there. Support in a different way. Let the kid find the solutions. Because then suddenly they'll realize out they're good. They realize they want they're not letting their parents down because they're not in the starting eleven. Right. So for me, th- th- it starts with the hunger and the humbleness, and good parenting. Yeah. You know, don't be like that. Find Nemo's mind, mind. Pass, pass, pass. <laughs> tell them what to do. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, because I remember you know Wayne Gretzky's dad talked a lot about that mm. about how you know Wayne being out in the backyard all the mm. time. He said that was never coming from me. Yeah. He would say, Hey, can you set yeah. something up? It was always from him outward mm. as opposed to the mm. dad going, you need to go home now and let's, we're going to yeah. put three hours into whatever. But I think a lot of parents confuse that now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because you, it, you see it in the entertainment world as well where people are kind of, whether it's the girlfriend or it's mm. whatever, like here's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if it's not coming from a passion inside mm-hmm. of you, it's going to be all for naught anyway, I think, at the end of the day. So listen, when you're up on stage, you probably answer the same question. You do it because you love it? Yeah. You do it because you have fun with it? Yeah. D- is it hard? Yeah. 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 But and you but push through because you love it. You bust through. It's yeah. sacrifice, right? What yeah. you're willing to sacrifice, you got to sacrifice to go through it. Yeah, you know, nothing ever is easy. Like you sat on the, you know, Bora Bora, just sipping. Yeah, margaritas. yeah. Well, that's that's a. I was one of these adages that I hate. People say, "Oh, you know, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." And I'm like, oh, "That's such bullshit," <laughs> right? Because you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> you tell me a f- professional football player has never yeah. worked a day in his life. Yeah. It's like there's sacrifice. Yeah. There's parts of it you know in my line up in buckets yeah know? yeah like just you know you guys dealing with this with travel mm. stuff and guys are you get cut and left mm. everything like there's heartache to go through mm. but if you love it enough you're going to push through that adversity mm. and learn from it and, and go forward so but it's i think people are looking for that easy road all the time it's like how mm. can we fast track fast track and it's like sometimes there is no fast track mm. it's just go about your business be consistent work really hard and at the end of the day you pray that it works out well um Buddy, best of luck. Mm, I'm going to be – so home opener is when? What's May the date? 5th. May 5th against the newcomers, <coughs> TSS Rovers at the Soccer Center. Sweet. And you guys have moved from Memorial Drive now down to uh, Calgary Soccer, Soccer Center. Center, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah I think I'm around, man. I want to get down and watch the game. So best Sweet of luck this year. Down 52nd. You're good. Dude, I can, uh, I can probably <laughs> walk that <laughs> yeah. and stumble back. <laughs> take, take your bike. Park out. <laughs> yeah, Don't exactly. even look it. Hopefully someone I'm going to get a bike back. first. <laughs> I'm going to have to steal a bike from somebody <laughs> yeah. first and then get, get out down. But uh, no, I'm excited to watch yeah. you play, man. I'm proud of what you guys are doing here. And I think City's uh, city's definitely behind you. So, thanks, brother. Hey, fun chat with you, Trent. Anytime. All right, man. Thanks.